0: Hi folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. I think most folks, at least in America, are familiar with the phrase, the separation of church and state. Now, unfortunately, it's probably one of the most misunderstood, and if we're being honest, one of the most intentionally misused expressions in our country, certainly in our current political debate. So in this episode, I want to look at the origin of this phrase, the separation of church and state, just to go ahead and give a little preglow hint, it is not found in any of America's founding documents. Many folks believe that it is in the Bill of Rights to the Constitution, one of the amendments. It is not in the Bill of Rights to the Constitution. So we want to look at the origin of the phrase and kind of the meaning of the phrase and how it gets misused, etc. In order to do that, we're going to need to survey a little bit of church and American history. So let's start off with that. As you would expect, when America was still just a few small colonies and people from millions of people from dozens of countries were migrating to America, the reasons that they did so were pretty varied from bad to good. So there were scoundrels who were running away from trouble in their homeland There were just young people, risk takers. They were looking for adventure or greedy people, looking for prosperity in an untamed land, etc. But a huge portion of the individuals who came to America were Christians, and they were Christians looking to escape religious persecution in their home country. Some of them had already left the country they were born in, moved to say another European country, then faced persecution there and ultimately came to America before it had even become its own country. And and here's the reason. Here's what happened. In Europe, most of the countries had official religions. So they had state-ordained and state-funded religions. So for example, the French was a Catholic country, and England became an Anglican nation, and the Netherlands was some sort of sort of reformed church, and there were other provinces or countries or states that would be Lutheran, etc. And what would happen is when the king and the politician said, this is our official religion, and so we will collect taxes, we will collect fees from you to support that religion, In many of those places, they also said, and we're really not going to allow you to practice your own religion the way that your conscience dictates that you practice it. You need to follow the state religion in the way that the state says, the king or the politicians say that you need to do that. Obviously, you can immediately see what the problems would be with this one kings and politicians don't make very good religious leaders. Sometimes politicians don't make very good leaders at all, but politicians and kings don't make very good religious leaders. It's difficult for me to financially support the church, the denomination, the type of faith that I want to support with my funds if I'm also being forced to support the state church involuntarily with financial funds. And ultimately, it just becomes a problem with our conscience that we're living in a country that says this is what the Bible says and what it means and how we worship. And I have to kind of pretend like I go along with that when in reality, in private, I'm worshiping and interpreting the Bible in a different way. So by the time the 13 colonies got ready to declare their independence, there were a number of religious refugees. And though taxation without representation may have been the primary catalyst for America declaring for independence, it was really a number of religious refugees who felt so strongly about how they felt they needed to practice their Christian religion, that they were willing to leave their home country in order to be able to do it. It was those religious refugees who were declaring for that independence. So I think today, a lot of folks are trying to say America was never, should never have been a Christian nation. America was not a God-believing nation. That has nothing to do with who we are, where we came from. That is simply a really blatant and bad rewrite of history. If you just look at the beginning, you don't have to read the whole document. Let me just read about five sentences from the preamble to our Declaration of Independence, and you get a sense for just how deep God was ingrained in America when she was founded. The preamble reads this way, The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They are literally saying here, in some beautiful language, it is the God of nature, it is the God who created us and created nature, who gives Christians their rights for religious freedom. And we couldn't have that in your country. And now we have it here. And now you're trying to abuse us, these United 13 States, in a different way. But it is the God of nature. It is the God who created us along with nature that gives us this desire and this right to be religiously free. And it is this creator God who gives us our personal individual rights as well. So in just a few opening sentences there... The founders of our country, in the the founding document, the Declaration of Independence, they say it is God who gives our country the right to be a religiously free country. And it is the same creator, God, who gives each person their individual rights. Okay, so there's the setup that we needed, the history lesson that we needed. Now let's actually talk about the separation of church and state. When America was first founded and the Declaration of Independence was put out and then we won the Revolutionary War, we were originally under what are called the Articles of Confederation. The Articles of Confederation didn't last very long and ultimately the Constitution that currently guides and directs our country was put into place. Most of us know, again, at least those of us in America know, that attached to this Constitution was what is called a Bill of Rights and the very first, First Amendment to the Constitution, the very First Amendment in this Bill of Rights says, and I quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And we know from what was written by the founders, we know from the debates that were held around the Constitution and around this Bill of Rights to the Constitution and around this First Amendment, that this First Amendment was not included for the protection of non-Christians So, government shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion was not so that religion had no influence or no place in American society. Again, we know from the reason they fled Europe to come here, and we know from the writings and the debates that were held around this, that this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, was demanded by Christians because they wanted to keep the government out of religion. It was not to keep religion out of the government. It was not to keep religion out of the public sphere or the social sphere. That's simply not true. It is historically inaccurate. It was put in place by Christians who were saying, we will legally restrict and prohibit the government from getting involved in religion. We saw how it worked in Europe. Better failure, We will not repeat that here. So Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. No national Congress, no national law can ever be passed that says, this is our national religion. This is our national denomination. Or worse yet, this is how you have to worship or you have to pay taxes, fees, or tithes to now the state church. That is what this First Amendment was designed to avoid. And then, of course, it says not only should the government not establish a state church that we all have to obey and fund with our personal money, though we would rather not, but also the government cannot write any laws that prohibit us from choosing, since there isn't a state religion, a state church, the government can write no laws that prohibits us from choosing what religion, what church, what denomination, we will commit ourselves to. And it's interesting here, we speak so much in America about free speech and the freedom of the press, and those are important things, and we got we guard them very carefully. But notice here, the very first thing the founders wrote in this very First Amendment was not freedom of speech or freedom of the press because they knew the most important thing in life was their faith, and they knew what had happened in Europe when state churches had been formed. And so though they put in the very First Amendment, the government cannot abridge the freedom of speech or the freedom of the press. The government cannot stop people from peaceably assembling. The government cannot stop us from petitioning and complaining when they're doing something wrong. But the first thing it says is, the government cannot start a state church and force me to obey it or force me to fund it. And the government cannot stop me from freely practicing my religion as my conscience dictates that I need to do. Because of this establishment clause, because the government was told you can't get involved with religion, but you can't stop religious people from getting involved in the public sphere, because that establishment clause is there, most folks think that's where this separation of church and state phrase actually is. But again, Separation of church and state is not in the Declaration of Independence the Constitution or any amendments to the Constitution. Separation of church and state was simply a phrase that was used in a personal letter that one of the founding fathers wrote to a friend. Why did it become so popular? Well, unfortunately, this is really the reason. There are individuals, there are groups, always, always have been, who oppose Christians, who oppose Christianity, who prose the Bible, and more to the point, really, they really oppose Christians or any people of faith having legally guaranteed rights. And so they really grab at straws. They look for some justification to carve religious faith out of American life, out of American culture, because the First Amendment to the Constitution literally guarantees the free exercise thereof, of religion as our conscience sees fit. Because the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights literally guarantees that we have a freedom to practice our religion as we see fit. And even implies that that freedom to practice and exercise our religion is, if anything, slightly above freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of the people to peaceably assemble. Those that are opposed to guaranteed legal rights for people of faith have really had to grab at straws. And the best that they could do was this separation of church and state. Because when you read separation of church and state, when you say it or the way that it's used in modern debate, it implies that the protection goes in the other way. It implies that Christians are not to be involved in the public, social, and cultural spheres, and that faith is not to be a living part of the American experience because there's to be a separation of church from state. There is no separation of church and state. You cannot separate church from state. It's like you cannot separate sports from the state. You cannot separate music and concerts from the state. They're all just a part of what makes America, America. But those who have just been desperately grabbing at straws to say, let's slowly erode the guaranteed legal rights of people of faith in this country, they cannot do it with the Declaration of Independence nor the Constitution, and certainly they can't do it with the Bill of Rights, which established immediately a person of faith's right to exercise their religion as their conscience dictates. And so they throw this phrase into this public sphere, this separation of church and state. But there is in America, no quote unquote separation of church and state. There is an establishment clause that says the state absolutely cannot establish a state church. So the church at which I preach, I cannot petition the government to make my church the legally endorsed state church and to get tax money. But here's the thing, no Christian, including the ones who wrote this First Amendment and including all the Christians I know today, no Christian wants the state to give us tax money and no church wants the state to recognize them. No denomination wants the state to recognize them as the state official church because every time it has happened in history, it has destroyed that denomination and destroyed that church and set them up in a no-win situation. So I can promise all of my atheist friends, we are not looking to make religion mandated in America. We are certainly not looking to make our churches tax-funded in America. That is not the purpose of the establishment cause. We just want to say we have a legally guaranteed and protected right to freely exercise our religion as our conscience dictates. And here's what I would say. For educated people, we really need to stop using the phrase separation of church and state. It is not a real legal statement. It has absolutely no meaning in our country. And you really sound, to be honest, rather uneducated and extremely biased when you just casually tell that, oh, but you can't do that separation of church and state. That's like saying, oh, you can't do that because of the purple unicorn that lives at the state park. There is no purple unicorn at the state park. Stop it. The only concern that our politicians, our courts, our voting citizens should be worried about is, not having an official sanctioned religion, not funding that religion with taxpayer money. Other than that, there is no separation of church and state. Christians should be free to practice our faith as our conscience demands. So, I would make a recommendation to the listening public that we take the phrase separation of church and state out of our vocabulary. Again, it really makes us sound uneducated both historically and legally, and it clearly and quickly shows your bias, that you are opposed to religion, even to the point of working against the legal guarantees explicitly written in the Bill of Rights in order to make your point. So at this point, I would like to dig a grave and bury separation of church and state and say, as a good American who follows the First Amendment, long live the establishment, clause. Congress does not need to get involved and mess with my religion or my freedom to practice my religion as my conscience dictates. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.